Um, hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for Product School's live talk. Uh, we teach product management courses in the Bay Area in Los Angeles and in New York. Uh, more on that later. But today, uh, we have a very special guest with us. Before I introduce her, I'd like to just do a quick check and make sure that everyone can see and hear us. And it looks like everything is okay. So I would like to introduce to you um, our speaker from, uh, <laughs> she's, she's also from the Bay Area. Her name is Shiva Gogol, and she's Director of Product Management at Cisco DevNet, and she's a leader in the product space. So welcome, Shuba. <laughs> thanks, Cassandra, and thanks to uh, you all for joining us this morning. So Thank you. Could, you, um, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how yeah. you got into product management? Yeah, absolutely, Cassandra. So, so I have been in the product management space for over 15 years now. I'm a little bit old timer that way. <laughs> but uh, out of my B school, so I came to US for business school. And right after that, uh, mobile application space was hot. So I jumped into product management <laughs> and started in that space. Uh, did a few startups and then jumped with um, Sybase, which was also doing some of the mobile application work uh, before I joined Cisco around 10 years back. Uh, my education is in economics. Uh, my background, uh, MS in economics and then business. So that's kind of my background. But I did go to a technical institution. So a lot of, oh, okay. uh, I do have a lot of background in technology and I love working in technology. So that's a little bit about myself. Ah, very cool. Um, thanks. And you have a presentation um, prepared yeah. for us today, right? Yes, uh, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about uh, how we keep calm when we validate our product requirements and assumptions. And um, as I go into my presentation today, I think one of the big theme you will see all around is um, this is these are my observations, my learning, being in the space. Um, and Give me a quick minute. So while I'm doing this um, screen share part, let's talk a little bit more about uh, uh, the validation aspect, the topic itself, right, today. And um, very interesting piece uh, as we look into the product requirement piece. Um, and I don't know if it's for some reason it's not going to full screen. Is it still uh, nope. visually? It's perfect. It's good? Yeah, okay. It's good. All right. <laughs> so um, I know a lot of us in the product management space uh, get into by working on actually being a developer, right? And a lot of folks come into space after doing a years of development work. And they uh, the very first part that as you start looking at the product management, it comes down to requirements, right? And there's this... Uh, always a debate like who's who's prioritizing it and who's getting these requirements and of course product managers are in the middle of it all and i'm pretty sure you have seen this picture somewhere or else in your work uh, but the key comes down to is like what it really means when you collect a requirement and um, of course like pms are blamed for if something goes wrong and if you Customer explained it one way, but really what they wanted was something totally different. And of course, there's uh, in large organizations, um, if you're working for a large enterprise, a lot of the time there's like the stakeholders who have their own opinions. 
and I love the the how the business consultant described the requirement, the the cushy chair hanging from the tree. But customer really wanted this, just a swing with a like a um, uh, tire, just a swing with a tire, and that's just the reality that we all live in our space, right? So as if you are new to the space or trying to be a product manager, my next few slides are not a lot of slides, but the idea is really talk about what it means to define either a new product or service or what we are, or if it, there's an existing product or service. And I know uh, lean startup thinking from Eric Ries is something that a lot of you might be already reading or working in your uh, environments already. Um, and uh, that you can go off and read there's tons of content on that. The piece that I wanted to focus on today was this the second piece here in terms of understanding the user and the market need. And that's where this whole uh, validation part becomes really critical. Um, and spend a little bit more time on um, some of the things I learned in the process over the years. Um, as you know, like the, the vision part here, that's something pretty much lot everyone has in the organization, whoever is working on a product, they have some or the other vision of what that end thing looks like. And this is where like Steve Jobs is always quoted in every organization now, can we be like Steve Jobs? I don't know, right? <laughs> it's just the reality of the things is not everyone can be Steve Jobs. So then it comes down to how you really try to get to the need of your user, right? And, and that's where the validation part comes into. Um, really big part of the product manager's role should be to spend time having uh, understanding the customer and the user, the market, and having that empathy for your um, the end user or the end goal you're trying to achieve, right? So, so just keeping that in mind, the next three slides, and these are very quick, and I will talk about some of the things as I learned over the period. Um, the very first thing is really knowing who your user are, like who are your users, right? And your users sometimes, um, what happens is like, is it the buyer of your product? Yeah, that's an user. And there's an experience that they go through to buy your product. Um, who manages your product is another set of user. And then who actually uses your uh, product is another user. So it comes down to which user you are trying to address in your different stages and life cycle of your product. And maybe there are multiple of these users, but just knowing who those are becomes really super critical. For example, so I have worked in Cisco on some of our early telepresence um, systems. These were the in-person conferencing environment. And we were selling a whole lot to the IT organization because that was just the selling motion for equipment, high cost, heavy uh, workplace equipment. And they were like, in some teams, they were the workforce experience teams that were involved. Those were like the decision makers and influencers. But in some requirements, they were directly an end user who had very different need. For example, we 
had one of the leading um, AutoCAD design company who wanted, and they were using our systems very heavily, but they wanted to make sure their animation is shared in a way that enables users to see the things in much more clarity and uh, just the different angles. And, and that was a one use case. On the other hand, the user of that use case was not the people who were sitting inside this company. They were, but also the main users who are the customers of their application who were sitting on the other end of the endpoint, the telepresence endpoint, and needed certain use cases to be addressed. So we had to really work with uh, this company and ask them, can we sit in the meetings when you are talking to your customers or, and, and your customers' use cases? And then that's how we got to the real user who was having some challenges because we were given all this in, information from our, our customer, but that was just one piece of the story. And so it's really important to identify that right user, right? And who you are, particular user story, who are you doing it for, right? So I know in the early stages of product management, like you're really validating the concept, much higher level. But as you go start building and then you uh, validate concept, you validate market, but when it comes down to the feature validation, that's a very different set of users. So just keeping that mind uh, in mind is very important and helpful. Um, the the next part of my learning here, the second key thing that I learned in this was like really keeping our experimentation and the validation process very simple and quick. And this is where it a uh, lot of the time it used to be. Uh, Let's talk to these XYZ customers because that's what our sales are. Uh, the stakeholders will bring to the table saying, oh, these are the key customers and let's just go experiment with them. Um, what I learned in this was like, um, the, Eric Ries describes a great use case in his Lean Startup book, right? He was uh, he talks about Groupon and how they even started with the, this regular PDF printed coupons first, right? And so the key was understanding what type of need you are validating. And in this case, like some of these examples, the need was very simple and an experiment was very simple to understand. If we offer a coupon, will someone be ready to use it, right? You're not, and that's at a concept level you are validating. So that was a again a very simple and quick experiment where you print X number of coupons and go out and distribute and see how many of those people are using back, right? Um, but the other part becomes is um, when you are validating with the user, just making sure who are your power users versus who are your just peripheral. They might have opinion, but their need might be very different than your power user, right? So there are different tests you can create for the different set of user. And if you try to validate multiple of them at the same time, it's just not useful. 
right? So that was another um, area. Again, I will go back to an example from my telepresence days. Um, internally, our lot of the usage we saw was driven by our execs. And one of the features that I was trying to creating a simple, a simple calendaring integration that pushes your meeting to the phone in the room, the telepresence room, so that you can go click the meeting and it launches the call, no remotes needed to launch your call. Turns out like execs are not the ones scheduling their meeting, their calendars are managed by the admins. And um, so this time the, our test case experiment with the admins was very different than the test case that we had for the users who were actually in the room versus the users who were setting up their calendar. And, um, and that was very interesting when we started tracking the data, we created these forms for our admins to fill out because they, uh, exec admins love to have a process and very detailed process. And we learned in that example that the data that they were provided us the key for them was to keep their exec moving from one meeting to other. That was the most important thing that we gained out of, and that was not even what we were trying to first validate. But also keeping track of these, the third bullet here is the data that you might get out of test might say more things, right? And how you keep track of that data. So that's like, again, a very uh, first thing I learned through that experiment we did with our exec admins that like they came back and say i i'm okay to set up the meeting the way you want me to set up the only thing i want is you end enable something so that they don't keep chatting on the call they end the call in the right time and so can you do something there for me so so that was the key data point uh, we learned in this process um, and then the last thing on my just slide-wise before we open up for the Q&A, is, is it like one-time process? Is it like something you do again and again? And my thing was let's continue to validate, validate, validate. Um, part of it was that as you are trying to learn in the process, you first time experiment, you bring back the data, and especially in a large organization where there are a lot of stakeholders, there will be execs who will say, whatever, you collected this data, it might show you certain folks like it this way, but I want to do it this way. And that's where that continuous validation became very critical for us uh, and be able to say, we tried this way, this was the answers we got, we tried another test, and these were another answers we got can we try something different this time? We implemented what you wanted, but let's make a decision. And that fast data that comes out of quick tests helps you make those decisions. And then also from those decisions, you can pivot in the direction. And that's again, going back to the, the whole lean startup thinking of build, measure, learn. As you learn, you can pivot your direction of your product, right? So those became some of the key things. Um, I'll give you another example that actually very quickly was as I was working with my eight-year-old son, actually he was seven when he wanted to make a product. And we said, okay, uh, if you want to make a product, you need to first 
go to your user and understand what they want. He really wanted to build a smartwatch kit. I said, sure, why not? There are tools out there. Let's learn about it. And he put together a prototype. He said, great, this is a good prototype. Let's go talk to some kids, whether they like it or not. And he did some little bit work in the community and with his friends. And then next step was like, okay, they like it. Let's go talk to a bigger community. We took it to Maker Fair. And then all the kids started asking, like, can we buy it? I said, great, looks like you have validated next step. Let's put a Kickstarter and see if people buy it. And he made a successful startup, a Kickstarter when he was eight. He made his product available in the market. Those were like some of the same processes you can apply wherever. Actually, Kickstarter is a very good way to validate the concept um, if you are a startup, right? And if there's a product that you can, or other concepts too. So with that, I think what my point for this session was really, as Eric Ries says, like, when in doubt, simplify. But I would like to add one more, which is when in doubt, simplify and validate. So with that, let's open up for Q&A. Awesome. Great presentation and really, really interesting points on um, it's, it's all about constant iteration and when understanding your users. So um, really yeah. great points. Um, okay, guys, go ahead and you can type in your questions in the chat box right next to the video and I'll be taking those. Um, oh, perfect. We just have a new one right here from Turin. So you spoke a bit about tests for separating power users from standard users. Can you get into what those tests might look like? Yeah, no, very good question. So um, power users really, when, like I will give you an example, right? When they are using your application a whole lot, um, this is again another product, WebEx, which is a collaboration product that um, I was working on. Our power users were using our product more than five hours a day. So that was just some of the criteria how we selected okay. those users. But the thing which we also learned about them was the test to build them. They needed much, they had more detailed info. So we had to show them a little bit more about the next round of features to get them to talk back and give us um, input on it. Versus are some of the newer users who were just learning and they knew a little bit, they could talk back more, but they could give us overall input on the experiment but they were not able to give us the detailed input so that the aspect of details you implement on the test was very different for one. One was purely on paper. We had some UX prototypes in PowerPoints, which we ran by. Mm -hmm. In other cases, we had to build a little bit more prototype and have them walk through that and say, this I like, this I don't like. So just the differences there. Okay, right. Yeah, definitely the power users would be using them almost every day and be able to tell you, suggest features and yes, <laughs> and have more, yeah. more insights for you. Um, Absolutely. Great, let's see another question here um, from Krishna. How do you handle connecting between what users need and what businesses need, especially when you meet some case about features of the app and then the direction of the business need and the user need is different? Absolutely. So I know this is a very constant struggle we all go through, <laughs> where our business execs believe that our business needs X, Y, Z things, 
to drive that number, right? It comes down to the number at the end of the day. Is it helping us drive that or not? And then right. our users might not be uh, helping if you cre- implement a feature for a user and that's what their need is, it might not help drive that. And that's where the one of the, there are two things I have done in the past. One, educating, the education works very well for execs, right? A lot of the time they don't know that if we, for this end user, we implement these features because this will drive the adoption and usage of your product, which in the end will drive the revenue. Let's balance out how much adoption we want to drive versus how much uh, and how we convert that adoption into a number, right? So the whole uh, platform strategy, now I work for Cisco's developer program, which is developer.cisco.com. And a lot of our adoption comes from the developers before that becomes a revenue for Cisco to drive the actual product usage. So it's the strategy and how you communicate that becomes a very key part of it. Okay, great. Let me check for another question here. Um, This one comes in from Kanat. There are business KPIs and user needs very often. It's very difficult to meet both. How do you manage this kind of situation? Yes, I know very similar to what we were talking about and how you, uh, the KPI was how you're tracking your KPIs, right? So uh, the top level, every business wants to see their business KPIs. Uh, It becomes important. That's where I was saying, like even if you want to include some of your user KPIs, right, the adoption KPIs, and how that trend is changing for with the adoption, it becomes really important to show that data. And again, the validation, big part of validation is getting that data back, right, from the users so that you can share it and say, here's, and there will be times that you will be frustrated because your execs don't want you to move in like or implement something because they don't see the value and that's where the return on investment, right? Really the ROI part, our overall business, our features ROI versus overall product direction ROI and balancing it out, right? Because every feature you cannot implement and you always right. cannot solve every need, yeah. Definitely. Okay, I'm gonna search for another uh, question here. We have a couple more that came in. Um, so a regular transition to PM at a large company, which is better or more possible moving internally from developer from a developer role or moving from a PM role from another small company? So in the large so, company, I have seen a lot of the time internal candidates do get preference over an external candidate, partly because it's just easy to hire from internal <laughs> candidates. Right, right. And um, if you have like limited cycles before your rec disappears, you try to hire more quickly and that's when internal candidates. Uh, what m- matters most in those cases is like having those right contacts, making sure you are connecting with the team that you want to be a PM in ahead of time and always keeping yourself on top of their mind. So when they have a position opens, they pick you up. From outside, it depends on the need also and skill set. Like if you really want a skill set that you don't see internally in your employees or you're trying to grow a different mindset that you want to bring it from outside startup, that's definitely depends on the need. Right, right, definitely. 
um, we usually we usually do say it is easier to move um, to a different position within the company or industry that you're already working in. So, yes. Um, <laughs> um, let's see. We have quite a few more questions. Really good ones that came in. So this one is from Sergi. Can you say a few words about product management in enterprise products? For instance, um, building a big system. What's important or better to know for a product manager from the very beginning? Yeah, no, that's a great question because it, it I actually learned it when I moved to Cisco. It was much different than <laughs> other large organizations like Sybase those days, which got acquired by SAP. So one of the things which is really important in that role is you need to be, um, uh, there are a lot of stakeholders. So really knowing your ecosystem of your stakeholders internally is an important piece and making sure you have that communication line open from all of them so you understand their need as well even though your top priority is to bring in the customer need and so that's that's a the more soft skill that you are building relationship and making sure every stakeholder knows that but more on the real learning skill wise some things you can do is really learning about the whole industry ecosystem who are the top players who is the competition you are working with Right, definitely. That impacts the and that company values that skill set very much because not every person like moving into those roles have that broader industry knowledge. So how you keep yourself updated on those becomes very critical as you just get into a new role because right. now you are someone who can bring the market <laughs> knowledge in it. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, as well, speaking of starting uh, a new role, uh, here's another question from Ishwari. When joining a new product team or a company in a new role as a product manager, what you, should you do in the first 15 or 30 days? Interesting. <laughs> so the, the first advice, again, it, I will say is a little bit more on the soft skills side, mm -hmm. uh, and which is knowing the people part. <laughs> but, but at the same time, when you, what it means is when you know, get to know the people, really ask them what are their top three things that they would like to do, see happen differently, right? Really having that conversation with the execs, with the stakeholders in your organization and really understanding what their top three needs are. The second piece, also understanding what are the challenges in their environment. Because to be successful, you really need to know what are the challenges. The tooling aspect of products and the technical skill set is something you can build on, right? Right. And it's easy to learn. I think it's the soft skill aspect is what you need to really understand what people care about, what the, their customer cares about, and what do they see as a challenge to achieve and focus on saying, here's how I can fill that gap for you. Right. Great. Um, yeah, we have a couple more. We have time for just a few more questions. I'm going to try to get to these last these last few that are uh, also really good. So uh, this is from BB. How do you measure? How how do you measure what you can trust basically from your your sample data for validation? So and and he's, this is coming from a startup. Yeah. And yeah, so that 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 is a key in validation, like what your sample size should be how much you trust the data, what people are saying is really valid or not. And this is definitely an art. It's not a science on <laughs> that front. So uh, depending on the type of concept you are trying to validate, your sample size could be really small or big, uh, depending on what 
functionality or feature you are trying to validate. I think what always helps is also back it up with some data. So yes, you are doing your primary validation and getting the right data. So that way you can build the confidence on what you are seeing in the experiment is also, and it might not turn out every time you might not see the correlation with there. But right. and that's that's where the gut feel of PM comes in. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is a lot of that gut feel part where you really don't see that this thing can work because uh, not because just five people said that it will not work just because your gut feel feels right. So, right, uh, yeah, have that in mind. It will not be a perfect science that you can figure it out. Which, which actually talking about that, we had a question come in from Nathan who was talking about how much. Um, how much does intuition actually play a role in your decision-making as a product manager? So it can does. you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, it does play a lot. Of, it, is, it is a big part of the role. And um, part of it is goes down to not just your intuition, because this is where you need to see who are the experts in the industry who have gone through this and be friends with them. Because as you are working through an intuition of your own intuition, you need someone else to be first behind you. So have a sponsor right. in the organization that's behind your intuition. And then second, having that expert to back you up with the real uh, past anecdotal other data that they might have, right? So those two become like really key when you are playing with your intuition and putting it as the first option there. <laughs> Great. No, thank you for that. Um, also, well, that's, um, that's all the time that we have. So I'm going to finish up with a question that um, quite a few people have asked, but I was saving it for the for the last uh, and final question, can you give some advice to to people out there that are, are aspiring product managers and want to get into the industry? Oh, big question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, my advice for the aspiring product managers would be to um, focus on how simply you can convert a technological, like a, a problem, a challenge, into a solution and be able to explain it clearly because I think that's the big part of the product management role that we do not talk about a whole lot is you are really the liaison between your engineering and your business, right? right? And how quickly you can, and simply you can put that challenge and how to solve that in a way that your end users, you can interact with and understand. I think that becomes a big part of your role that we do not focus, it's a, again, because I think a lot of I talked about our soft skills, right. but being able to translate that technical info in a way that your business users can grasp it, that is a key skill. Right, so definitely having a good communication. Good communication, it get, goes down to that every part of it, and that's probably we talk a lot, the product managers, I think, <laughs> because yeah. we do a lot of communication. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today. It was a really great presentation. We're getting a ton of great feedback in uh, in the YouTube chat. So um, thank you guys for joining us today too. Um, and, and thank you again, Shuba. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us thank today. Thank you, guys. Um, well, we host these webinars every other week. So I uh, will make sure to send out the next uh, the next one in two weeks. And, uh, and as I said before too, we also host product management events every week at our campuses. So if you're in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Los Angeles, or New York, make sure you join us uh, live and in person. Thanks again, everybody. Uh, have a nice day. Have a good day. Bye now.